0: Benvenuti e felice venerdì.
1: Ciao,
2: ciao, ciao,
0: hey, ciao a tutti. Questo è Travelog, and <laughs> uh, this is the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. <laughs> you have not pressed the wrong button on your phone machine. I am here in the Condé Nast podcast studios with Aaron Florio, Andrea Whittle, and Karina Quinn, podcast newbie. Hi, Karina. Hi, guys. All of those folks are editors for Condé Nast Traveler. My name is Brad Rickman, and this is the one, guys. This is the podcast we've been waiting for the podcast of the year. Secret Italy is our topic this week. Our second issue of 2018 just dropped. It's out on newsstands now. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's even more of a keepsake than the usual ones are, and that's quite a bit. There are actually two covers to this one. You should collect them both. Why not? They're lovely this subject came about because I think it's one that we all are super passionate about and super into, especially those of us at this table, but lots of other people too. Italy is not a strange destination for the travel world, but it also feels like one that never gets tired, never gets old. What is it about Italy that you guys think is the reason it is such a perennial favorite for us and for travelers?
1: I think because it is so bottomless in a way that no other country or no other destination I've ever been to is bottomless. Your appetite for it becomes so insatiable because it literally is that country and that place where no matter what road you decide to randomly turn down, you're going to find something that impresses you. And I think that's what keeps people coming back. And that's why doing something like a secret Italy is so effective because everyone's looking for that thing in Italy they haven't seen yet.
2: Mhm and that's sort of the approach that we took to putting this issue together. Like everyone knows the sort of icons of Italian culture, they know the main tourist sites, they know how gorgeous they are, but we really wanted to show our readers this side of the country that maybe they didn't even know existed and there's there's so many incredible landscapes, there's so many different cuisines, there's these tiny towns that are like just beyond stunning that are completely off the beaten path that are like there's not really that many people that go. This was our attempt to really dig deep. And we talked to fashion designers in Italy. We talked to writers. We talked to cooks. We talked to people who have lived there for their entire lives, whose families have been making wine for centuries. So we really, we made an effort to show you the kind of Italy that that you might not have access to if you don't have, like, a friend who lives there who can email you their favorite places. Like, we really wanted to feel like the kind of thing where you're going to a city, you email that person that you know who has, like, the most incredible taste and they give you like this list of incredible places that you have to go to and yeah. that you will then pass along to we- the people that you really like and it's just, I think it really turned out like that, so I think it's really cool.
1: Yeah, this was us opening up our black buck of everybody that we have in Italy to our readers, basically.
0: Full disclosure, a number of us have either our own life experience or familial connections, so those threads run pretty deep for us, people we can tap into. When was the first time you guys ever went? What was your first trip to Italy?
3: I was in high school. My sister was in college at the time, and she spent a summer studying in Florence. And she was my older sister. And I always wanted to do exactly what she did. So my mother, grandmother, and I came and visited her. And she took us all around. I mean, much to your point about seeing it from like an insider local view. <laughs> Learning from like the family she was living with, where they go, how they how they get around, what they enjoy about their city, I was pretty much hooked. So then I decided to go back and
0: <laughs> learn the language and keep going. And where did you travel around that time? It was just Florence the first time. Cool. Mm-hmm. Did you and you did all the Florentine? We things. did
3: okay. We did all we basically like recreated her steps as like an art student there for a summer. Yeah. But then I ended up studying abroad in Florence too and then working for an Italian food magazine. So I got to explore it a lot more deeply.
0: Which magazine did you work for? Um,
3: It was La Cucina Italiana. Ah, Mm -hmm. It's a very historic magazine Ah. in Italy. It's something that everyone gets in their own homes. And it's been around since like 1928. And they had a US edition here for many years. So run by the Italians, but an American edition.
0: Yeah. Andrea, the first time you went?
3: I actually don't
2: remember.
0: You were like a baby.
2: Yeah. So my mother's Italian. She's from Rome. She's the only one of her siblings, there are six of them, who lives in the States. Really? Um, So my mother's entire family is still there. So I think that probably the first time I went, I was like a couple of months old. There's a photo of me as a tiny little baby being propped onto the roof of a Venice water taxi. Uh (laughs) That's really a great picture. should find that. So I've been going back at least once a year my whole life.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. you're like my son's going to be like that. Erin, mm-hmm. what about you?
1: Uh, I Italy came into my life a little bit later. I actually didn't go to Italy for the first time until I was 23. But um, I fell hard and fast, and I definitely made up for lost time. And the first time I went there was actually me moving to Rome. So I went, and it was a good thing I liked it because I was going to be moved without having <laughs> ever I been. That's
0: kind of incredible. that's oh,
1: bold. <laughs> Feeling I was going to like it. <laughs> to be honest, a <laughs> hunch. Yeah, um, I mean, my family, you know, obviously from, from a few generations back, is a Ita- we we're Italian Americans. Um, but even through that, you always felt a connection. I mean, my grandfather knew it very well and spoke the language. And you know, he 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 was sort of a connective tissue of sorts. But yeah, twenty three, went to Rome, fell for it, and I've been going back very very often um, ever since moving
0: out. Yeah, I'd never been to Europe, I think, before I went to Italy the first time. I was probably in my late 20s. I went with my wife, and we went to visit her family, obviously, but then we did a bunch of traveling around, which is something we've done then every year since. Um, And so for me, I was like a full-grown adult. I'd never traveled anywhere except in Central and South America before. And man, what an introduction. I don't know if you guys would agree with this. I don't feel 100% on it, but it does feel to me like a country where it is at once very forward looking and forward feeling it can be, you know, with design, with the approach to fashion feels very sort of cutting edge. And yet at the same time, the history is sort of everywhere and permeates it and is so suffused in daily life. These two things kind of coexist in a way that is rare, I think, out in the world where such profundity of history sort of exists with you every day.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. I also sometimes see that as a little bit of a conflict in Italy. Mm-hmm. I sometimes think it holds them back a little bit. And, and I, you know, it's it's all good and it's all glorious. Um, but I think once you have spent a long period of time in Italy, you sort of start to see how <laughs> that conflict is more and more apparent, especially when you come from a place like I mean, when you come from especially the new world, the like new world in New York. Yeah, I mean it's. it's it can drive you a little bit crazy sometimes. But this is something I always say about my relationship with Italy. Like, I feel like it's like this lover I just can't quit. And I go there and it pisses me off and we have a fight and I leave. And then I always want to go back to it. You what know? is it that
0: pisses you off? I'm oh, curious. I
1: just, you know, like, there'll be a pothole in the road and immediately they'll like cordon it off so that, you know, you, you can't drive over this pothole. But then it'll just be cordoned off for a year and they won't fix it. And, and
0: You're describing <laughs> the BQE like for the last <laughs> decade. True. This no, is true.
1: I think,
2: so this is, I think, the sort of tension here. I think that part of what makes Italy so appealing to tourists and to Americans who are visiting it for a short amount of time, that slow pace, that sort of old-fashioned, romantic way of life that, you know, you feel like you've stepped back in time and everything moves really slowly and, you know, nothing's really happening and you sort of relax for someone that lives there and i think for romans too locals i have i have tons of roman friends and they sort of voice this that same slowness can feel completely infuriating yeah i mean not to say that it's wrong but it's it does have a sort of specific pace of life that if you don't have a sense of humor about it, you're like, what? How does anything get done here? Well,
3: I think too, and and this might be a little unfair, but going into the conflict that you were talking about, Erin, is I feel sometimes it's a little bit generational. Mm-hmm. There's a real particularity about the way certain things are done, and it's gotta be done the way it's been done because they've you know, decided that this is the way, it's perfect, don't mess it up, and I find like, A lot of my friends who are our age, who are younger, are a little bit more open, a little bit more interested in kind of loosening things up and trying new things. They don't have that same kind of like, it has to be this way and we don't have to fix it right away or we don't have to kind of fall into those parameters that you're used to, even culturally about like when you have your coffee and how you take it. You know, Mm -hmm. like it can come down, but like in some ways I also think that for a traveler, it's really fun to crack that code and be able to walk into a bar and properly order the espresso and not have them ask you like, you know, this doesn't come with milk. It's not a lot, <laughs> and so um, I think that can be part of the allure too. Is that you're like, oh, I get it now.
0: I completely agree with that. It's like when you figure out the New York City subway. Right, you're like, I'm a genius. Now. Yeah. You're like, I'm, I'm so still waiting. So, to do that I'm, I'm so, so smart. Um, and
2: you can find out all of the coffee rules, which are intricate. <laughs> they are in our <laughs> issue. The coffee <laughs>
0: rules. We spell out the coffee rules yeah. in, in the in the. What are we calling this? The February issue?
1: It's, oh, well, the, the it's volume, is volume two. Of, it's, it's volume two. March is technically the month. But okay. Mm-hmm. It's the
2: okay. It's the Italy issue. It's the Italy issue.
0: It's beautiful. Yes, it is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm really proud of it. I feel, like, very personal. You should. I really attached. You, you to should. should. You
0: should. You wrote a bunch of stuff. Both of them, you wrote a bunch <laughs> of stuff in here. That suggests something to me that maybe is a lead-in to, you know, the way that you guys approached the country in the magazine, which is Italy is also... It's only been a unified nation for shorter than the United States, 150 Eight, years. Yeah, or so, 1861. Yeah. So I think what people who are not so familiar with it don't realize is how profound those differences can be and the attachments to tradition create what is a very amicable and yet still— Sometimes tension fused sort of relationship between different parts of Italy, right, or people from different parts of Italy, and it's not like there's real friction around that. But it's really interesting to me how the north versus the south versus the central parts sort of will talk about each other's food or each other's styles and in, in or one languages time. even languages, I mean, things yeah. are
2: totally different. Like I was talking on the phone the other day with a friend of mine who's Roman, and he was in Naples for the night and. He was standing outside of on the balcony of his Airbnb, and I hear like shouting in the background. And I was like, I was so so funny. I hear some like Neapolitan woman shouting yeah. in the background, and he was like, I have no idea what she's saying. Yes, you know, that yes. accent
0: like,
3: is, <laughs>
2: but just the dialect. Yeah, <laughs> like you don't even understand. Like there are languages for every region, every city.
0: There's two levels. I've found there's two layers to that. One is the Italian that is spoken in Naples or even in Rome is very different as Italian. From the Italian that's spoken in Turin or or Milan, for example, mm-hmm. and I can understand my in-laws much more easily than I can understand my friends and their families who are from Rome, right? And then there's also dialects that are everywhere and that are still spoken by particularly sort of the parental, the baby boomer, I suppose, generation, mm-hmm. I think that's dying out a little bit.
1: Well, in the south, though, it's really, really dominant, like Andrea said. In, in Naples, which is in the south, in Puglia, Barres, if you're standing on the street in Bari, they're going to be speaking Barres. They're not going to be speaking Italian. And, like, it's so obvious in Sicily. I mean, sis, oh, like, yeah. Sicily is its own country as far as the Sicilians are concerned. So anyway. As far as the rest of Italy is concerned. And the regional pride. Like, try as you might, you know, I'm just an English-speaking girl trying to speak Italian in this Island, and I just have no idea what they're saying.
3: I ran into that in Friuli a few years ago, too, where they border Croatia and Slovenia, and the dialect is more Croatian than Italian. So I was traveling with Italians, and they were asking people on the street when we got lost, Do you speak Italian? Yeah. Not even, you know, I would have been asking, Do you speak English? (laughs) But they didn't even know if they'd be speaking Italian that's true and the Do- in the dolomites
1: region as well they uh-huh. speak laden, which is yeah. actually a german dialect. they speak this language called
3: laden. That's, yeah and it's which not is not like spoken a german anywhere else, right no it's
1: only in like the mountain villages in the dolomites in the Sud Tirol in italy mm-hmm. and it's a german based dialect and it's so funny cuz when you call i, I years ago um, when i was working at an, another magazine i had to call uh, all these villages to confirm information whatever and they have like a German-accented Italian even when they're trying to talk. It's, it's just, it's,
0: it's well, not Well, Piemonte- is the dialect in the northwestern part of the country which borders on France. Sounds like French. I mean, it has these yeah. sort oh, of yeah. slurs to it that sound like the French. The R's, very French. Yeah, yeah. Like my
2: grandmother had this sort of rolling R. Yeah. It was, it was inter- fairly interesting. Yeah. It was very strange.
0: Yeah. That's the other thing, too, about Italy that feeds into all of this is that at one time or another, it's been either part of or occupied by or sort of culturally overrun by other parts of Europe and other parts of the world. So you've got Spanish influence down in the South. You've got Greek influence down in the South. And in the North, you have French or you have Austrian. The Austrians are so intense about it, or the Souti they're so intense about it, they want to separate, right? Like they want to yeah, do, well, there's, I mean, there's a faction. Yeah. There's a secession faction up mm. there. That's really interesting. The other thing too, that is part of all of that, that I think it contributes to why you can have thousands and thousands of different versions of Italy, is the geography for such a small place, the geography is so varied. It gets very, everything from very, very mountainous and alpine all the way down to really flat out beaches that are as wide and expansive as anywhere else in the world. And so you can really have all of these different kinds of trips when you go there and you can keep going back again and again. Or you know, if you live there, you can get different experiences too. So maybe that's a good segue into our approach in the magazine itself and the way we've sort of separated the country. I was going to ask this because in some ways it feels very fair and in some ways it feels unfair, the north, center, and south. That's obviously very natural for Italians themselves, but when you guys think about that, it's clearly not exactly rigid, and yet do you feel like there's a certain artificiality to that, or is that something that feels completely natural? as you were approaching it, editorially? Uh,
1: I'll I'll, I'll start. (laughs) Me and Andrea are like staring at each other across the table. Um, I think it's natural, especially when you're referencing the South. Uh, For me, the South, to me, and Italians will more than likely agree with this, feels very different, very unique. I mean, the North is, too. But you know what makes the South so? The funny thing is, is that as you zip down Italy from north to south, you can see the influence of the border countries on the north. But by the time you get to the south, it's just Italy. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's pure it's Italy. like raw, pure Italy. <laughs> they're throwing plates at each other and they're screaming, you know? But like, t- okay,
0: but that's Campania, right?
1: And Sicily and yeah. Puglia. But you also and,
0: get the Moorish influence and you get the Spanish sure, influence. Yeah. I mean, sure. you know, like...
1: Sure. I guess I'm I mean, I, I suppose I I see the north and I and I feel northern Europe in the yeah. north, you know, and I can see its links to various other parts of the continent. And then like the South just feels like the glorious beating in a way heart of <laughs> heart of everyone's <laughs> wonderful stereotype of what Italians actually are. And
2: then the center is also like the place where a lot of people are going and starting from. Like people yeah. are starting in Rome, they're starting in Florence. And I think, even just editorially, like the way that we think of the magazine every month is we want it to be of service to our readers. Like, we want each piece to be something that you can use. And I feel that, like, dividing it up north, central, south, not that Italy is a big country, like, you can cover the whole country if you're there for a week. Not easily. The trains are great, the roads are great, it's easy to get around. But I think that it was sort of an effort to be like, if you're in Milan, you can, like, take that north section. And plan five incredible side trips for your starting point. So, and if you're in Rome, we're giving you all this information for like the different routes that you could take and like weekends that you could tack on. So it feels, regardless of the sort of cultural legitimacy of dividing it that way, I think that if I were reading it, I would see that as like a useful tool. Yeah. You know?
3: Yeah. That's how
0: people actually travel there.
3: Yeah. 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 I was going to say, I wasn't involved in those editorial decisions, and it made perfect sense to me and I'm partial to the north Aaron.
0: oh um, I'm partial
3: to the south I know we're going to have to get into it I'm a central girl I'm I'm a, I like center and south <laughs> everyone's yeah, represented <laughs> um, but you know the trips that you were talking about Andrea in the north like I've done them and they're so accessible that was the other thing that really struck me about the way you guys structured that issue is that it's not like this is your one trip to Italy you'll do it this time like you had a lot of different experiences mixed up in there that you could fit into a 7 to 10 day trip very easily yeah. so you could have a lot of those mini trips yeah. in there
1: No, it's true it actually yeah, Andrea is completely right editorially it served a pragmatic purpose to divide it that way
0: so let's follow the map that you guys laid out let's start in the north we definitely had some stuff about venice in there i think venice is probably the most visited of the northern cities mm-hmm. um i feel like milan and turin are the other mm-hmm. milano and torino are the other big northern cities that can be anchors for you milano right in the center venice in the east and then torino in the west and all of them have jumping-off points there. I feel like Milano, among people like us, is probably very well visited and well traveled. But I think it gets a little bit of a short shrift for a variety of reasons. Why do you guys think that is? What is it—the perception about Milano versus the reality of Milano?
2: Oh, I think Milan it tends to be seen as this sort of like business center and. Architecturally and historically, it's sort of less appealing to the tourist who is going to Rome to see like the greatest hits, like the old Roman Empire stuff. Also, like the weather is a little tricky. It's sort of this foggy yeah. northern city. Like it doesn't have that knockout beauty that Rome or Venice or Florence have. So, the way that we approached it, we talked to Andrea Incontri, who is the designer for Todd's, and Tamu McPherson, who is this wonderful photographer and sort of street style star. And they're both people who are glamorous and cool and interesting who live there. And they both of them gave us these really interesting lists of places that they love that all of them made me want to go. I was like, oh, my God, wait, like what? This incredible pink bakery where you can get the most incredible ham sandwich on focaccia in the whole city or like. You know, Andrea and Country mentioned this Florentine restaurant, 20 minutes outside of Milan, that's in this like farmhouse that feels like it's in the middle of nowhere, but it's like so easy to get to. So, so we we tried to show a side of Milan that I think is often overlooked. So that was sort of fun to do. I like doing that.
0: Aaron, what do you feel like is the secret Milan? The secret of Milan, I guess, is more what I'm asking for. Like there is a certain magic there, right? Like I would.
1: I mean, I would agree with Andre with what Andrea said. I think. The immediate reaction to Milan is that it's the very necessary industrial city of Italy. And Italy needs a Milan, and any country does. Um, Most of the commerce and the business goes through Milan. And it does feel a little dull from the color palette to the architecture to just the sort of way of life compared to places like Venice or Rome or the other cities you might be inclined to visit and i think the way to get at milan and to figure out what makes it really tick and the way that you want to see it tick is to really talk to the people that live there and that's as we said that's why we sort of took that approach i mean i remember on my last visit to milan i'm sure, i know a lot of people go to these canals now but the navigli canals were so fun and i hadn't you know and i think i had been to milan 3 times before i they were f- finally a thing and i visited them and it actually just from that afternoon that i spent there like changed my perception of milan so it just takes one one really good recommendation to make
3: you realize how the city is actually appealing in a way that isn't business-oriented.
0: You're, you're northern uh, partial. To-
3: I love Milan, and I feel cheated because I <laughs> listened to too many people who don't like it for too long <laughs> and avoided it, and then I was flying through there on a trip toward um, Emilia-Romagna one year, and the, or maybe it was the Freely trip, but um, I, have, I do have friends there because the magazine, when I worked for La Cucina, it's based in Milan. And so I spent some time there and I got to see it directly from the locals' view. Their cocktail scene is really cool. The food scene is really vibrant. It's a lot more innovative than I think people give it credit for. They think of it as a business hub. They say, you know, I was warned it's so industrial. And I was like, it's also old with beautiful, varied architecture. I mean, I know what you're saying. There's like a bit of a mood to it, Mm -hmm. but that appealed to me. I found it really welcoming too. I just, I I felt very comfortable there.
2: It's also, just seems like it's the place where all the young people in Italy, if you're Mm -hmm. gonna stay in Italy to work you're going to Milan. Like that's where the the young energy and all the jobs and the sort of interesting jobs in design and fashion, which are huge industries there are. So it has this sort of cool youngness to it that that I think a place like Rome, for all its romance, doesn't necessarily have. Mm -hmm. Well,
0: and that's what I was going to say, too, is that all those industries that you just mentioned, plus, like, advertising media, whatever Mm -hmm. there is of that in Italy, and there's not a ton, it's not New York or London, but there is a thriving media business there. And, And so all of those creative class people are in Milan, and I think the way that you see that is it's not in the monuments necessarily. There are some of those fine... Um, but it's in the day-to-day, it's, it's sort of like one of those places where if you live there, you're going to have all of this really great stuff at your disposal, really great food, really great coffee, cocktail scene is going to be good, so the aspects of your day-to-day life are going to be really great, and there's less that's there for the tourists, but if you are somebody who cares about the eating and the drinking and really experiencing the Italian version of those things, and particularly some really thoughtful Italian versions of that in a creative place like that, Milan is a terrific place to visit for those things. Mm-hmm. So again, back to this notion of like, how do you uncover those things? It's not going to be in the traditional sort of ways that you find tourist things in a city because they're not really paying attention to that. It's going to be from people who know it really well um, or who live there or who, who, or who work there. there. I've known lots of people who have you know been stationed there for work at one time or another. Let's talk about Venice for a second because... Why not? It's Venice. <laughs>
2: it's Venice. It's
0: Venice. It's gorgeous. Um, so, and it is on the cover, one of the two covers, which a really kind of awesome shot of Venice.
2: Yeah. So here's the thing. I lived in Venice for a few months. I have family there. I love it so much. Like, I just think it is this, like, incredibly magical place. And it, like Milan, it sometimes gets a bad rap because...
0: For the, the sor- other reason for the other for the side other, yeah, of it. Yeah, exactly. Right? For the other yeah. side.
2: So that the sort of main sites of Venice, it's a fairly small city and it's tiny and hard to navigate. And the main sites are just like mobbed with tourists. People coming off of cruise ships, people like coming in for the day. Like and, and this is sort of the way that I set up the piece and the way that I think about it is like if you're going to Venice and the only thing that you're seeing is St. Mark's Square, that's like going to New York, seeing Times Square and leaving. Yeah. And that's, I think that's why it gets a bad rap. Because it's people, prettier
0: than Times Square.
2: It is much prettier than Times Square, <laughs> I'll give it that. But it's like that sort of same experience where it's so commercialized and so separate from the way that people actually live and what's actually cool about the place that it is sort of Times Square-esque. So the whole point of this piece is to show the other side of Venice. Mm-hmm. Like, And so basically what I did is I reached out to every single Interesting Venetian that I know, or people that I know who know people, hotel owners, artists, writers, gallery owners, cookbook authors. Like, we talked to literally everybody who's either lived there, you know, grew up there, lives over half the year. So, we really just went deep on like the way that the locals do it and what they think is special and what's worth it. So, um, I think it turned out really well, and it's and I think. It shows off this side of Venice that is the reason that I love it so much, that it's this sort of like crumbling, glamorous, weird place with incredible food and and these really quiet, gorgeous neighborhoods that. You actually get lost there. And it's
0: better to get lost there. Yeah. It's better yeah. to get lost you can't there. You can't help but get yeah, yeah, lost there. there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's like, go off. Yeah. It's uh, not yeah. even debatable. Uh, like, you will get lost there go and anywhere. embrace it. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that's it's literally fine. the only way to do yeah. it. Like,
2: if you don't, <laughs> you're going to be miserable. So it, you kind of have to embrace getting lost in these, like, kooky, weird, totally nonsensical neighborhoods that, and then all of a sudden you appear in this square and there's like this perfect bar in the corner serving like the perfect Aperol Spritz and it costs two euros and 50 cents and then you have this beautiful snack that you're eating. And it's just like, it's so surreal. Yeah. It is this place that, there's really nowhere else like it in the entire world. And, And I think to experience it in the way that is sort of intended to, that's what's really special about it. Because if you just do the greatest hits, that's fine. You know, it, it's still beautiful, but you don't really get to the spirit of it. So we are giving you, like, the locals, the I, deep cuts.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you guys have the same experience, but my experience of many Italians is they will talk about another place. One of the first things they will go to is, do you eat well there or not? <laughs> <laughs> si <mangi bene?"> right? <laughs> and... Venice is, occupies this strange space with that, because what they'll say about it is they won't say, "non si bene. And I'm talking about the Piemontese mostly, who are, you know, <laughs> have a very sort of strict view of food, right? And they'll respect somebody else. it's like game respect game. They will respect somebody else's game, but you know, they're pretty strict about it. And so the way that my in-laws, for example, feel about Venice is it's difficult to eat well there, mm-hmm. because you have to know where to go. You have to know what to look for. It doesn't have this like Mm -hmm. voluptuous laid out cuisine the way, you know, Tuscany does or... Rome, eh, you know, not so much if you're looking for Cashew Pepe, sure. But like, you know, there are other, or Bologna, right? Like Bologna, it's just oh, all kind of, like, you can't fuck battle. it up in Bologna. No. Yeah. Oh my god. Right, like you just, like <laughs> that's, that's kind so of what amazing. they mean. It's like yeah. you can stumble onto good food in a lot of parts of Italy without having any idea what you're doing. You know, you just show up and, and it's going to be great.
1: I think that's true. I, I, I can say for everywhere I've ever been in Italy, Venice is the one place I feel I really need the list to yeah. so know yeah. exactly 100%. where to eat well. I've
3: eaten bad in Venice and I haven't eaten bad probably elsewhere in Italy Mm -hmm. that's true I would also say hotels booking hotels in Venice requires another level of it you against us. the world. I know. It's yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> it it not easy. Like, yeah. Without
2: that sort of extra layer, it feels like you're either spending $1,000 a night yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. or you're in some, like, dump.
0: Well, you <laughs> covered this. Get, lay <laughs> them, down. lay okay. them down on the podcast because yeah. you found some options that are yeah, not that. Yeah, so,
2: so we found a couple of options that sort of hit that sweet spot in the middle where they're beautiful, they're, they're sort of historic, they're low-key, but they're not these, like, which... For a special occasion, I think those really over-the-top Grand Canal hotels are great. But not everybody wants You can't spend You can't stay island, at the yeah. Daniele every night. Exactly. So the places that I loved are, one of them is called the Bauer Palladio. It's the sister property of the Bauer, which is one of those sort of grand hotels. But it's on the Giudecca, which I sort of think of as the Brooklyn of Venice, <laughs> which is where I lived when I lived there. Because <laughs> it's an island that's separated slightly from the main drag. It's a little quieter. There's no bridges to it, so you have to take the ferry. And it's this, in this old um, like Palladian convent, and it has this incredible garden in the back, and it's really quiet and just gorgeous. Is it really
0: a Palladian convent? I think
2: that it is. I think, well, it's, it's, it's attached to a Palladian church next door, so I think it was originally designed by Palladio.
0: I don't remember if it was you who wrote about mm-hmm. Palladio, but we also talked about Palladio we here We do. Oh. So
2: we talk about sort of side trips to – so Andre, Andrea Palladio – a lot of Andreas in this issue. <laughs> Andrea Palladio was this incredible Venetian architect who's known for this very simple white facade, gorgeous church style. He also built these incredible private villas in the Veneto region, sort of inland – Um, and it's a very distinct style once you get to know it. And it's a lot of sort of architecture buffs do these like pilgrimages to see his work. So there's also a piece in the magazine about how to see these villas and the kinds of specialists that can hook it up. So
1: fun fact, I was just in Bangkok and there's a Palladian. No, way! is there really? Yep.
0: How did that another, Uh, another, another, another podcast, another podcast to be read about in the (laughs) April issue (laughs) coming soon. (laughs)
2: Shameless plug. (laughs) (laughs) Um, a couple other ones, Chima Rosa, which was from Sky McAlpin, who's wrote all about the food in Venice, which she's great. She mentioned it's a sort of five room Airbnb. Erin loves this place called Palazzo Venart. Oh my god, it is
1: to die for! It, it is looks the incredible. most gorgeous like mansion plus that's technically on the Grand Canal, but not on that like Lido part of the Grand Canal where mm. the Daniele and everything else is. It's it is so beautiful.
2: Mm-hmm. And then the third one is the JW Marriott, which is on its own island which would be sort of great if you're there with, like, young kids, you're there with your whole family, and you want to be able to, like, spread out a little bit. They have lawns. They have a pool. You're not just, like, in the middle of the city with, you know, all crammed into one
1: room. So Yeah, it was – the JW Married is, like – what venice needed to make you if you're traveling with small children feel you could stay there for three days and not lose your mind
2: yeah i thought that was a
0: very smart suggestion yeah (laughs) as the parent of a child
1: um
2: yeah so i mean the venice thing is you know it's on our website you can look at all of it but um one of the things i thought was cool that karina wrote is that if you are in venice that the side trip that you should take is to go to padua and see these incredible restaurants which i've never been
0: been to padua tell us
3: I feel very fortunate. I have a friend who lives there. so, And she happens to work in the industry, the food industry, too. Massimiliano Alimo is a very well-regarded, I believe, Michelin-starred chef in Italy. And he and his brother, actually, Raffaello, they opened Alimo in Padua and then continued to build it out. So they have the restaurant that's the, like, full sit-down dining experience. It's very forward thinking. It's like Alta Cucina. And then they built out sort of like a little wine bar area with it and then an alimentari. So they launched a whole line of sauces and pasta and that Mm. sort of thing. And then several years ago, they were recruited to take over Cafe Quadri in St. Mark's Square. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Okay. In Venice that had been around forever. And again, it goes to show you in Italy, like you can be like in the midst of a tourist trap and if you know the right things, you can find the little cafe on the square that's actually run by a Michelin-starred chef. Um, so anyway, my friend Marissa had me come out to Padua and and look around. It's a it's definitely a day trip, you know? Like you don't have to feel that you need to extend your trip by a long time to go there. But I love the idea of like just a few minutes outside of the city, you can see this adorable little, like, smaller city. There it's got its own community, it's got its own sites. Um, and then also go for a really memorable like, dining experience that sort of just sets it apart. And then be back in, the, be back in Venice like, by the end of the evening if you wanted, or you could stay. And it's a cool t- college town, right? It Doesn't is. It's like a, it's very a college place, town. fun
1: young university town. I know our, our other colleague Paul. He visited and he loved it for that reason.
3: They too. took me to some like they, after our dinner, we went out and they were like, "We're going to go to this like bar, but it's not really a bar." And the next thing I knew, and it felt so college, it was like a park <laughs> with a building that had multiple like food trucks oh, and God. stands, oh, and the no, building like really? there's your really? Brooklyn. Their rooms, so like, Italian, Italian. No. It's better than <laughs> Brooklyn. It's better than Brooklyn. Like you know, I was I'm like, I'm gonna
0: guess that your average food truck in Italy. A little,
3: <laughs> just a of little. That. but like I was like, what are we like? There's live music, but then you'd go from room to room in the building. I was like, this is a bar to you, you know? Like this was just like a casual like. <laughs> a you could be concert. outside on the terrace. You could be like at the food truck center. You could go to the different rooms that had different like drinks and food and whatever. And so it's it's a college town, but I don't think like the way we experienced college towns. <laughs> There is
0: uh, again <laughs> going to get the angry tweets for this but I feel like there is a level of creativity among sort of younger college and just immediately post college age people and maybe this is just my limited field of view but with things like that it's like we'll just throw a keg party fine right. you know like here's a keg show up drink it's good there it's like we're going to have multiple rooms and there's going to be all kinds of really cool stuff going on in them there's going to have we would never do this without art there's going to be art of course there's going to be art <laughs> yeah. there's going to be film. there's going to be photography there's going to be people acting in a corner i don't know and there's going to be really cool cocktails and <laughs> i just feel like there's like this ambition with stuff like we're going to throw a party but that means this whole sort of Baroque, modern <laughs> version of Baroque thing, you know what I mean? Well this gets to like, we we kind of started Am I started, full of shit on that? Or you're like,
3: not, you're not, I'm with you and uh, this gets to like sort of what we talked about in the beginning about like why do people love Italy so much why do they keep going back and yes it's like there's the beauty and the food and all this but like there's something I always say as someone who likes to travel, no one does hospitality the way the Italians do and I think they have a, no matter what region you go to and what the experience is, it's an experience you always come out with something meaningful um, and so it, it, and it. this is just one way. Like I think Italians really think things through rather than it being like, oh, there's a party. We'll have booze. It's like, what's the experience of the evening going to be for our friends? Like how mm-hmm. will we make it really great? I also love that you just said that because I think that
1: is like the single thread that makes north to south mm-hmm. in Italy unite. It yes. Really. Because it doesn't matter if you're in the north or if you're like in the deep thresholds of the south. The hospitality is paramount. hmm
2: And it's genuine. And it's genuine. And it really is about friendship. Like
3: it is familial. It's
2: about making people feel like you are welcome. Like that's so important. Like if you don't do that, it's deeply rude. It's a massive fail. Everywhere you go, I mean obviously there's like the snooty places there are everywhere in the world, but everywhere you go, people want to make you feel comfortable it's the sort of responsibility to make people that come into your restaurant or your cafe feel comfortable and and i think that that's really something so beautiful about the whole country
0: there is a friendliness too i Mm -hmm. think that is very very genuine like young old italian they're curious about things and they are interested in sort of engaging with them in a way that's very open i think Mm -hmm. but the other side of that there is no such thing as a half measure (laughs) Right? If you do it, you do it all the way. And that's true, you know, kind of across the board, right? There's no such thing as, I just don't feel like doing, you know, tying it all the way down or, you know, taking the extra step to put the extra ingredient in or whatever it is. You do the whole thing all the way every time and there are no shortcuts. And that can be amazing because it leads to terrific stuff. Like you just don't cut corners and you... Deliver fully on whatever the vision of the thing is and it can also be infuriating because it means that like it's part of this Why everything takes so long
3: right because you
0: do not cut corners You don't take the coffee in a paper cup out of the cafe (laughs) You stand there and you drink it and that's what you do and there's no such thing as a paper cup It doesn't exist
3: and like this dinner could have been done in two hours, but we're gonna take four and a half Yeah, (laughs) And I don't care if you're tired or how late it is or if you're here on a red-eye, right? Yeah
0: Um, You can't talk about Italy without talking about wine, and since we're in the north, and since this was something that we covered as well in the magazine, can we talk about Franciacorta a little bit?
3: All you need to know about Franciacorta is, like, it's sparkling wine that is as good as, no, better than champagne. They just didn't market it the same way champagne does. You can spend half the amount of money for a better bottle. There's no bad wine that comes out of there, and it's a beautiful place to be.
0: Boom. Mic drop.
3: Move on. (laughs) <laughs> and it's close to Milan, it's in
1: Lombardy, so it's easy to get to if you're in Milan. It yeah, yeah. Well, it like an hour like. and a half?
0: An hour and a half to get up there? Something like sure. that? Sure, I don't even think it's that <laughs> um, okay. So let's go to the center. Where does the center begin for geography nerds?
1: Ooh, well for the purposes of our magazine, it begins in Emilia Romagna, but commonly it begins south of Emilia Romagna. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Does it really? Yeah. Crazy. license. It's, it's, it's a great I feel border. like Emilia
0: Romagna is... I
1: uh, always personally think of Emilia Romagna. I couple it with uh, Umbria and with Tuscany. Yes. Just culturally yes. and landscape-wise. Yeah. Agreed. Um, but uh, apparently, technically, it's in the north. Really? Agreed. Technically, it's in the north.
0: I don't think the northerners think We own way. all of it.
1: <laughs> that, anyway. Uh, you know, Central Italy is great. It's like the, it is the verdant, beautiful breadbasket of... The entire country.
0: And Emilia Romagna, to be specific, when we think of Italian food as we know it in the United States, it's really the heart and soul of it is Emilia Romagna, right? Yeah, 100%.
1: I mean, Parmesan cheese comes from there, balsamic vinegar, lasagna is from there, tortellini is from there. I mean, every place in Italy obviously has their regional dishes, which we've adapted to our American menus. But Emilia-Romagna, if you do one food region, and the people up in Piemonte are going to hate that I say this, but it should probably be. They really be, are. <laughs>
0: but
1: it should be <laughs> Emilia-Romagna, and I, I, I stand by that. What about Tuscany? I stand by Emilia-Romagna.
0: What about <laughs> Umbria? <laughs> Porchetta?
2: Um, see, I this mean, is Tuscany, the thing Tuscany, you that incredible steak. I know. Yes. Oh, it's true, so the beast- good. Yes, yeah, the red wine. They
0: don't cook anything badly in Tuscany. I mean, seriously. No, yeah, that's true. I, whatever it is, I mean, they may not have the range of Emilia Romagna, but they, they do They really, not,
2: they don't screw anything up. They don't. But, uh, so the thing, of, the thing with Italy is like, when we were doing all of our reporting for this and asking people about the best meals and the best restaurants and all this stuff, there was barely any overlap in their responses. It's not like when you ask someone like, what are the best restaurants in New York or what are the best restaurants in LA or whatever. In Italy, like, it's kind of hard to get a bad meal. Like, unless you are in the most touristy neighborhood of the touristiest part of the city. Fine. Yes, don't eat and like, Piazza
1: Navona in Rome. Oh like, God, or, yes, yeah. please. There's no.
2: something like it's it's hard to say like what's the best restaurant in Italy or like what are the best restaurants in Italy because people care so much about food that like you really
1: are it's hard to go wrong. No, I think that's a good Actually, Andrea Andrea and I actually <laughs> had a conversation when we were making this magazine, and Andrea did say she's like, the thing is everyone asks about the food, but you don't really have a bad meal, and I was like, "It's true." Like it's <laughs> like, like no, there, and the, and then I think that also relates back to like what I said at the beginning. It's so bottomless; everything is worth a recommendation, which is why you can mine it and mine it and mine it and never feel you've hit the bottom of this country. Yeah. Right, like, tell every,
3: me the region that's doing food poorly. There doesn't exist. There, it doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. You've got your tourist traps, and I every mean, city has them. But- maybe
1: Molly say. I don't even but mean,
3: it's probably not even doing it badly. No, but I mean, like... I don't think so. They do the, They probably do it good. Yeah.
0: Other re- look, this is what happens. Uh, other regions may throw shade on Molise, right? They're going to say, like... Uh, I went to Campo Manchibane. Basso
3: once. It was okay. I In mean, two years, we'll be covering it.
1: <laughs> <basila casa. laughs> It'll be the next
3: Basilicata. It's going to be the next
1: cover. <laughs> It'll be the yeah. next Puglia. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. Then you go to Molise, and it's not like you're going to eat badly. I mean, come on. That's it, yeah. it, it's, it really is true... I can't even remember which of the two of you just said this, but like the danger in Italy is tourist traps. That's the danger because the regional cuisines, and we should talk about, you know, the center and its food and its wine because that's what, you know, there's so many reasons to go there, but that's kind of at the top of it. But the traditions are so deep. They have evolved over literally centuries and people take them so seriously Right? Not seriously in this kind of like, you know, punitive sort of way, but this is how we do it. And they don't accept, it's sort of like Japan. They don't accept less, they don't accept grade B.
1: It's also that concept of they do one thing and they do it right. Yeah. You know, the Italian food, I'm sure everybody knows this at this point but Italian food is not pan-Italian there's no such thing as pan-Italian food every region essentially every city or every town has their dish
3: that they perfect and that's why you can't eat badly they do what they do and they do it really well one thing I find interesting though that if you were to start digging into certain famous dishes say like lasagna alla bolognese Mm -hmm. um No one does it the exact same way, though. They never had, like, a LaRousse gastronomique, so there's no one way to do it. So two towns in one region, 10 minutes apart could have different riffs on something absolutely. and still absolutely pronounce it like this is the way it's done. Yeah. Perfect example of that is actually in
1: central Italy, which is the Amatrice, the village of Amatrice, just mm-hmm. outside of
3: Rome, which is the famous birthplace
1: of Yeah, uh, And you can either do the red way or the white way. And there are various... Oh, Alsterias. I didn't know there's a white way. Oh, there's a white way. Okay, and, let's and describe the, only wor-
0: the red way. What's the red <laughs> so way? So the
1: red way is when you have your, um, your tomatoes with the... Pancetta and the, I, I guess it's onions and, and maybe garlic. I'm not, I can't even remember. Well, it's There's the way they do garlic
0: is. everywhere. You put it in the you oil and you take in, it yeah.
1: out. Yeah. Um, and then the white way is actually a way I've never had. They only apparently do it in the village of Amatrice. They don't do it. It never got exported. But now I want it. <laughs> So, and what's the white, what's yeah. the white way? I, I don't. I honestly don't. I think it's like oh, they know, don't have. We never can had it. look this up. I've Shall never had the look, white I'm way, but I know that the village of Amatrice because I, when I was living in Rome and I had a Roman friends and everything, and we, we, I went to Amatrice, but it was either white or red. I went red and uh, exported as the red, but uh-huh. there's a white, which is probably just wine and cheese or B- something. No tomato.
0: No tomato. No tomato. It might Want- just
3: be pancetta with the. Uh, and one thing that I think a lot of Americans are like, how do they get it, the saucing so perfect? Like there's making the pasta, but the emulsification, mm. right? You take those like three ingredients without the tomato sauce and you have to mix it until it really becomes like its own.
0: Okay. So let's talk about Tuscany for a second because we covered it a lot in the magazine because it is a prime destination. Tuscany for me, you've obviously got Florence. I think you've got... Not unknown, but undersung Siena. I think Siena is a great Siena's, sort of... Siena's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that's a great city. It's very romantic, I find.
1: And it's pedestrian and beautiful, and God help you if you go for the palio. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say.
0: It's great, and it's terrible. <laughs> but I also think Tuscany is one of those places where it's one of the best countrysides to explore in Italy because you can drive through all of those mountain villages. We covered a lot, a place that I, I actually really love, which is Val d'Orcia which is, um, you know, a very mountainous part of Tuscany. Tuscany is, to me, in a way, canonical medieval Italy, right? Like you have these hill towns. They are basically built as fortresses, right? They have walls. People live inside those. I actually
1: think that's a really good point to bring up. It's not just Tuscany, but actually a lot of central Italy, including Emilia Romagna... It's, the, it's medieval, mm-hmm. first and foremost. So, you know, there are various... I mean, Italy stretches back as far as Western civilization can document, but there are various levels of Westernization, or Western civilization, I should say, and um, Tuscany and Emilia-Romagna, unlike Rome, are are, are very medieval-focused. And, and, and also Umbria. A lot of the hill towns yes.
0: that you'll go yeah. to
1: there are... Yeah, they're like walled, fortified exactly. castle
2: towns. Yes.
0: yes, exactly. Which is
2: really cool, because a lot of those castles are now little museums, mm-hmm. or they're they have, you know, the most incredible churches. I was in Italy in December and like went to all these little towns in Tuscany and in, in the sort of border of Tuscany and Umbria where we saw all these incredible Piero della Francesca frescoes in these like mm. tiny roadside mm-hmm. chapels in these tiny little walled towns. And it's just like this priceless, absolutely incredible artwork on the side of the road. With some girl at the desk, like, on her cell phone, like, <laughs> completely unimpressed <laughs> yes. with what she's a gatekeeper of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all these uh, crazy yeah, Americans want to that, wanna yeah. keep
0: looking at the the at the at the picture. Like, you can <laughs> go in and out in
2: 10 Bye. minutes. But it's really, yeah, there's this all this, like, medieval sort of sense of place and, and all the, like, incredible art and culture that comes with it. But it's... There's still people that live there, and you know people that live. You sort of walk through the walls, and you know you're in the town square, and there's like bars spilling out into the streets. It's modern, but it has this ancient feel to it. Yeah, and and I think that's what people love about it. And addition to the landscape, and that when you're driving around, when
0: you're it's driving, like, it's amazing. It's, exactly it's amazing. beautiful, amazing. really. And if you go at the right time of year, which you know, in Tuscany. I suppose it's debatable. Spring is probably great. Autumn feels like really the time to go.
1: Mm -hmm. You could even make a case for the charms of it in winter. I mean, I went in
3: December. I would just say high summer. summer.
1: (laughs) Avoid high summer is all
2: I got. Avoid Italy in general (laughs) in high summer. But but like mid-December... I wanted to say that it was like really wonderful, but literally it poured. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> for five days. It's not going to
0: be snowy and pretty. It's just gonna no, no. Be, it's yeah. just rainy and yeah. gray.
1: But I think this is a nice point, though. Is you know we talk about the central section of Italy, and of course it's home to Florence and it's home to Rome, and all of these places which we expect you to go to, and you should absolutely be going to. But the most charming aspect are all of these tiny little villages that you come across, and they are. Like they are endless. I mean, Andrea was just there in December, as she said, and, and I know you did uh, a bit of a drive from Rome. Mm-hmm. Like it took a long route to get to Florence or, or Siena. We did. So we stopped in Arezzo,
2: which is like a sort of small city with some incredible churches and a beautiful market in the central square. And it's gorgeous. It's really, really something. And then stayed in this little town that i believe is just over into umbria so mm-hmm. it's like right on the border it's so hard to tell it's hard to tell yeah. it, you sort of don't really notice when yeah. you're there. and it doesn't even matter
1: yeah, yeah. you're you just zip um, in
2: between and that was called santa polcro which is this like tiny little walled town and you know stayed in this airbnb and it did not eat a bad meal like had the most incredible steaks and like beautiful wine and nothing was expensive everything was super relaxed like Sorry. went to these tiny little towns um we went to this one town in this valley whose name I'm forgetting, but the town was called Poppy. And it was just this <laughs> tiny, you. tiny little it, it town. It sounds
3: adorable. <laughs> Jeez,
2: it is as adorable as a town. Tiny town on a little hilltop with this incredible castle that as you're driving up the valley, you look up and you see this castle on this hilltop, just like, and it's sort of like lit up with spotlights from below. like Just incredible. And... You know, then we went down to Cittadi Castello, which is like also sort of a college like small city, large town, and saw these incredible museums of this contemporary artist called Alberto Burri, who has these two museums like dedicated to his legacy. And and it was literally like, we were the only people there. And it was just the most incri- gorgeous buildings, gorgeous art, beautifully curated, like beautifully kept up. And... And there were like there was A, not an American in sight, Mm -hmm. and B like it was very like much just locals hanging out like nearby. And Mm -hmm. and I think that's what's really special about Central Italy is like you can literally drive two hours north of Rome
1: and you are in like You're in the country. Yeah, you're in the country. I mean, that's what I think is the most appealing part of Central Italy. And actually when I think of central Italy and I'm 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 a Rome girl. Rome is like my city, like I love that place to death. Yeah. When I think of Central Italy, the thing that pops into my mind the most is these amazing small villages that you don't even know you're looking for and you happen upon and they are filled with places
3: that you want to be in. So Mm -hmm. I want to know, how is it to drive? Because road tripping sounds great, but I
0: don't know (laughs) if I would... It's been so many years since I've driven in Central or South Italy and like, I think the easiest place to drive is in the countryside. It's really hard to drive in Italian cities. <laughs> you don't, don't want to be behind the
1: wheel in Naples. No, no you do not.
0: No, but no. also, like,
2: this is something to be said, is that driving in Italy, I was with my boyfriend. He did not let me drive. <laughs> he is Roman. It like, was not allowed. He was like, and I was like, like I'm happy to drive, like, happy to split this, and he was just like, no. no. That, this is not him being, like, chauvinistic. He's Roman. He's you Roman. Yeah. The rules of driving in Italy are fundamentally different. From the mm-hmm. rules of driving, but in the they US. get
0: they get harder as you go further south. Uh, and sure, I've never been absolutely. further south than but Naples, like, but Naples is you have to,
2: you gotta have a, you gotta grow a pair if you really want to oh, drive. For sure. and we do actually <laughs> have Italy. all of
1: this information detailed in our yeah, volume. It's two two not issue. that you can't like, do following. it;
2: it's just that what you might think is sort of like nimble, aggressive driving is like the most cautious, like grandma driving in Italy. Like oh. people. People drive very fast, they drive sort of aggressively, they also have sort of all these like unwritten rules of the road that to you might not make sense, but to them make perfect sense and are actually very practical, but just might not be like your instinct. Also, most of the cars are stick. You can rent automatic cars these days, it's, it's not that hard, but like, you know, was my boyfriend gonna let me the hind of the wheel of his dad's stick shift fiat multipla? Like absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that he
1: didn't. No. <laughs> it's a real shame though. I,
2: I mean know. just to <laughs> just
0: to just to gender neutralize that, I'm not allowed to drive <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. in, in <laughs> I can drive in Turin, <laughs> but I'm not allowed to drive in Rome or Naples. Yeah. It's not no. it's
1: not a gender thing, folks. No, no. It's, no. an it's, an it's an Italian or bus. Exactly.
0: Yes. <laughs> Exactly. And I think it's true. It's less true. What was funny to me is in Rome, it's like, whoa, this is really hard. And there's a lot of rules I don't understand. <laughs> Wait till you get to Naples. In Naples, <laughs> it's like, not only are there not rules, there are contrary rules it's- and there are no fucking signs driving for anything. At,
1: driving in Naples is literally like when you're at every intersection or every light, you do a Hail Mary and yes. you just hope for the best and yes. go for it. Yes. Like, I mean, I've never driven in Naples, but
0: this is the impression. And it's so Italian too, like, because the lights turn green and nobody goes because they're so suspicious that the red, because everybody goes on the red lights. So you can't trust anybody to actually. Talk.
1: Exactly. This is what this country is. It's everybody goes on the red lights.
0: Yes. And that's no. all you need
1: to know. Yes. And,
0: Na- then, and there were no street signs. That was the other Thing too, which is also very Italian. It's like you just have to know, which is to me a very Italian thing.
1: And may I just add something? If you're a pedestrian, which I usually almost ninety nine percent of the time I am, um, you got to be brave, and you just got to step out. Don't. I know it seems like the traffic is going to run you over, but they actually do stop when there are pedestrians on the road. You just they stop within More an inch New of Yorkers. your life, so, yeah. literally. Yes. More
0: than but New but you Yorkers. just got to
3: walk, and they're not going to hurt you, and you just got to go. And in case we're scaring anyone, I'll also just put in a pitch, <laughs> as sure someone who will like, not drive in Italy ever, that the train system is great and has improved a lot in the last 10 to 15 years. And I find it very navigable the and, and are affordable. They're like the best part of Italy right yeah, now is yeah. the trains.
0: And if you ever wanted to sort of compare the United States and Italy, this is one of those things where you think of Italy as this country that in a lot of places can't get things done. There's so much bureaucracy, whatever, takes forever. Yes. And yet- the train system is amazing it's and it impeccable. gets you everywhere you want to go. Like, and it's in, so
1: affordable. Yeah. You can oh. go from Rome to Venice for about 40 bucks. And the way the train system operates is that you can hop on and hop off. And it's like your ticket is kind of honored for about a month or something so that <laughs> you don't <laughs> have to get back on in the same day. There <laughs> Which are, just might be like just a loophole that works <laughs> to our advantage. But, but it's,
0: you better do uh, that. Yeah, oh, yeah. no. Time no, time no I haven't to me, you don't You don't have to it. do that as much. Convalidare. You have you don't to, have to convol- validate
3: it. I haven't had that that problem in my last few trips. They just haven't and been caught. Yeah. I don't think so. I think they've relaxed that one.
0: No, no, no. I not think in the North they have not.
3: They have because that's mm-hmm. where I was traveling all through the North. I never had to do the validation and was going first class with like free drinks, snacks, newspaper, like luxury, like assigned seats, something Amtrak has never thought to do. The free um, drinks are major. For $40 <laughs>
0: per trip. Because they're really, because they're good drinks.
3: Yeah, there's like a glass of champagne in a glass. Yeah. <laughs>
2: served you. with a free newspaper and yeah. a coffee like, and like a nice bowl of warm nuts it's yeah. like traveling first class in a plane but you're Correct. on the train yeah. for $40 it's I just incredible. have to keep reiterating
3: that like it was great yeah. because I remember getting caught with the validation thing in the past and I didn't the last few times so I think they've relaxed that standard mm-hmm. and this is another thing we were talking about you know
1: take to the roads and drive and discover all these little villages in central Italy Uh, One of my favorite things that I've done a few times is actually have the train ticket to go from a major city like Rome up to Venice and hop off and get out at places like Bologna, which isn't a small village, but it's on the train route. And the way the train tickets work is that you can kind of get off, you can stay for a few days, and then you can hop on. And they're just sort of like, I don't actually know if this is legal or not, but they've never been a problem for me. (laughs) Inside (laughs) (laughs) tip. Side try, <laughs> try it. Um
0: but it actually is a nice your, way. But you can often talk your way out of shit like that too in Italy. Right? Yeah,
1: but I'm not even concerned about the fine. I'm more like this is a, a cool way to see to pack in other lesser cities on your trip to Italy. Sure.
0: I just okay. Now so now you got me to where before we leave Central I just wanted to say two things. One, Bologna, I feel like, is a, a an undersung city. It is my uh,
1: second to Rome, my favorite place in Italy.
0: I mean, I put it in the same – different, but – Love it. In, in, a, in a category similar to Siena, which is that it is absolutely stunningly gorgeous. It's very young, so I think a lot of Americans would go there and be like, oh, there's graffiti everywhere because it's a student town. But it's not – It's it's graffiti like there is in Athens, right? Like it's activist graffiti, it's artful graffiti. It's like it comes because there's a lot of young people who are creative there. And
1: also, the graffiti that you find in Rome is a lot more aggressive than the graffiti you find in Bologna. Bologna actually doesn't feel it is a student town, and that's sort of its livelihood. It's the oldest university in all of Europe, if I'm not mistaken, is in Bologna. Is the oldest Um, university
0: in the world? In the world, yeah, maybe maybe. in the world, maybe Maybe. maybe in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's
2: me. I like. I'm very hesitant to say that, but. It's it's well, it got I've, some feel that I've heard some that credit
0: because, <laughs> because China and like yeah. other places who knows something
1: like, like a westernized in any yeah, event yeah. maybe in the west yeah, yeah. um But the town, you know, that still is the sort of pulse of the town, the fact that they have this university. And it's also a money, you know, not that Italy isn't money, because of course it is. There is an air of sophistication to Bologna Mm -hmm. that you don't find elsewhere um, in Italy. And when you marry that with the university edge, plus the fact that, for my taste, has you cannot eat wrong in Bologna. Oh. The nice. best food. And it's a place that no tourists are ever going to. And that's why I absolutely love it. And I really encourage people to just just spend two days. It's not because there are sites there that you need to tick the box off. And, oh, that and leaning see. that
0: leaning. The Leaning
1: Tower, sure. But nobody travels to Italy to see the leaning tower. Of you know what I love? There's another, another leaning, leaning tower Bologna. that's a little more famous. <laughs> um, but it's just it's just a really great city, I think, where you see like the way people normally live plus you've got great food, you've got really fun bars and it's it's really pretty.
0: I would also recommend a side trip to Parma, which is where Parmigiano comes from and prosciutto di Parma and the food there is just it's like the pure versions of that which are different from the versions that you know here. Even if you go, I'm sorry, even if you go to like Di Paolo or Italy or whatever, it is different there. And sure. it's like softer. It doesn't travel well. It, 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 it mm-hmm. It's just, it is worth yeah, taking you wanna a You want to be at kilometer
1: zero for those types of You arabs. really do.
0: And and it's just amazing. And you have to get it with mostarda, and, and which is a very yeah, peculiar yeah. thing to them. Um, but I would highly recommend that. Okay. And then the last thing I wanted to say about that is you've got to go to Umbria and get porchetta. Mm-hmm. Because porchetta oh, 100%. is... Amazing, and we don't. We do it differently here. We do great things with pigs here, but a porchetta, and you can find agriturismi in both Umbria and in Lazio and in in Tuscany that are absolutely amazing. In Umbria, we stayed at an agriturismo where they did porchetta on like Saturday night or Sunday night or whatever it was, and it was unbelievable. The whole pig, like cooking right there on the On the patio,
1: and and I will just add to that. I'm sorry. One more thing, just outside of Rome, to get the best porchetta, um, there is this place called Aricia in Mm. the Casa Romani, which is just the spot. I have never in like I have. I'm pretty well traveled. And I'm pretty well traveled, also in Italy. And there's nowhere in Italy that compares to the dining experience I had in Aricia, which was communal tables, platters of porchetta that they've just caught, and uh, roasted, and yes. slaughtered from the hillside, platters of, 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 of vegetables that are roasted, and then platters of the you know ragu al cinghiale, like the wild mm. boar ragu. Ah. Yikes. it's unbelievable.
0: It's so good. Okay. The south, and here you guys are going to have to help because I haven't been further south than Campania, and we covered a lot of further south than Campania territory here.
3: (laughs) I have, but I need to be convinced.
0: Oh, dear. I know. Wow.
3: Setting up. The gauntlet has been thrown down. Take it, Aaron. Great, Floria. I don't even know where
1: to begin with an introduction like that because I can start at so many places. Um, I, will, I, I think the natural place to start is probably Naples. For sure. Um, Naples is Italy's third largest city. It's often overlooked, uh, not very visited by tourists. It's sort of the place, it's seen as the gateway to better things. Those better things being either the Amalfi Coast, which in, of course includes Capri and also Pompeii.
0: But I love that we called attention to two spots there that I think people don't know about, and maybe it's good that they don't know about it, but the cat's out of the bag now, one of which is Iskia. Which mm-hmm. is uh, kind of your alternative to Capri, and Capri is gorgeous, but it, it's worth uh, the calories. I'm, I'm going to be, be like
2: honest. all New Yorkers. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like,
0: overrun. I
1: agree with what like, An- <laughs> Andrea said. I went to Capri, and I felt like I was in a zoo, and yeah. I was like looking at the animals, and the animals are all wealthy people from L.A. and New York, like yeah. looking at yeah. the Bulgari shops. Yeah,
0: it was. I, I, you have I, I, to get off that. You have I, to get off that central like I, thing. I, I went can't, to Anna
1: Capri and I, you know I, I, I did. But it's but so
2: small that there isn't really a non-central right. thing. And like, unless you are visiting someone who has a secluded mansion on a cliff, <laughs> like keyword being mansion, mansion. mansion. Like, but you are staying casual. in a hotel that you're paying through the nose for with a bunch of fancy New Yorkers. Like, I'm sorry if that sounds appealing. Great.
0: It's, tru- it's but true. It's true. Like, that's what you get. It's true, it's true So that's why we, we called highlighted attention to Ischia, Ischia And
1: Ischia is actually amazing I mean, there are hot springs on the shores I remember like being there And at like 11pm at night You walk down these like steps carved into the stone And there are like natural hot springs on the beaches And you just go and soak in these hot springs And it's a much more real version of an Italian island Than mm-hmm. Capri could ever be to Andrea's point.
2: It's also mentioned if you read the Elena Ferrante novels, oh. it's the island that they go to in those books.
1: Bonus. Where she has yeah.
2: like a sort of coming of age variety of experiences. <laughs> right. So, you know, if you're Spoiler a Ferrante alert. gal. <laughs> I haven't this gone place to that. I haven't gone
0: to that part yet. Um the other one that we called, and this is kind of more in the central, is Ponza, which is off of Lazio mm-hmm. and a lot of Romans go there. But again, it's very unpretentious. It's like a really great island experience where you can only get there by boat. Um, you can take a ferry. You can, I went there because we have Roman friends who have a boat and they go out there every summer. And in both of these places, it's like the coastal kind of cliffside parking and diving and swimming and then going into the town is like kind of uh, amazing. And both of them are, are relatively unknown. So if you're looking to get into, you know, the coast... Sorry, I think the
1: point is that both of them are unknown to an international audience. Yes, but yes, both yes. of them have been quite popular true, with the Italians true. for many, 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 you know, centuries, true, essentially. True, true. Like, Ponza has been... I mean, it's like derived from the word from, like, the the Pope in, in Latin. It's like one of the, 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 the islands where the Pope would make a summer residence many, 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 many years ago. And it's always been popular with Romans. And in our... Uh, Volume 2 issue, our editor-in-chief, actually, Pilar, who is also—she's half Italian. Her mother is from Italy, and she's been everywhere in Italy. She made her first trip there, and, you know, she has a really illuminating look at how it really does feel different from all the other places that a tourist will go to in Italy.
0: Yeah. So, skipping the Amalfi Coast, because that—the Amalfi Coast is great. We've covered that plenty. Everybody knows the Amalfi Coast. Aaron, what should we be thinking about in the South?
1: Oh my goodness. Um, I mean, obviously. We can so go back and talk
0: about Tarin some more no.
1: if you want. <laughs> yeah, we no, can, we can always revisit this. I'll go Tern back to Emilia sure. Armania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you can't. Obviously not mentioned Sicily. Of course. And, and I know that it's massively covered and people think they know how to do Sicily and they, they know what Sicily is all about, but Sicily is just never going to reach that point of an oversaturation of tourism, let's go somewhere else. It is so special. It feels like if you take the best, including like the things that drive you insane about Italy and put it onto an island, it's Sicily and it's wonderful and it's weird and it has all the history and the food, the beautiful beaches, a lot of different sort of cultural influences as well. You do get a lot of the North African influences in Sicily because it's not—it's really not that far from, yes. you know, Tunisia or Morocco or Algeria. And it's, it's the place that if you could return to one Italian region and do it differently every time, Sicily
0: is probably it. I'm going to Puglia this summer. I've never been. Oh, Mm. Prep me. I,
1: I, I I'm not. I'm I I have been to Puglia, but the thing is with me is I've been to Bari, which is not a,
3: not a place <laughs> that apparently is ready. The not ready for.
1: <laughs> God, I've got cut from the lineup pretty early on, and apparently not ready for uh, the spotlight yet. Uh, I will disagree. Um, but Puglia is is obviously amazing. Puglia is the way sort of I describe it as you know when when. All of the world was going to Tuscany in the 1980s. The Italians were actually vacationing in Puglia. And that's because it has the sandiest beaches, the clearest water, some of the greatest food. And of course, you can't eat wrong in Italy. But Puglia is really like is the southern equivalent of Piemonte in the north or Emilia Romagna in the central part. Um, And it's just it's.
2: But it's with, wonderful.
0: like, amazing water and 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 rock And, and also some incredible water. hotels. Yeah. Yes.
2: So we did, we featured in our hotel breakfast page this amazing place called Masseria Potenti, which is, th- then the Masseria were these former, like, fortified farmhouses with, like, big walls. And they were sort of these, like, self-sustaining mini towns. Um, and there's this one of them, which is Potenti, which is run by this incredible like Milena's family with roots in Puglia and it's all like whitewashed and filled with the most beautiful antiques and has this incredible pool and it's surrounded by like olive groves and blackberry you know bramble and and it just looks like the most incredible place and you know it's right near the beach but it's sort of set back and it's just like this super stylish, chic hotel that I'm personally dying to go to.
1: Yeah, these masseria are cool. Kind of, and are, mm. are are like a, a major selling point of Puglia and they're kind of like the updated version of the agriturismo that you get in central Italy.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. What's
1: the difference? They
2: I think it's more just like the way that they were built. Like they were built to be full self-sustaining. Farms instead of just being like someone's farm that they've opened up to like a couple of Airbnb type visitors like there are these really hefty farmhouses surrounded by like various crops that you could literally like supply their entire kitchen through these farms.
1: And the agriturismo in the central part also have this tendency to be a little bit more interactive in a way with the guests. It was sort of like... We all eat together. Yeah, yeah. we're all eating together. And if you want, you can milk the cow and, and, and you can do all these things. The maseria is like, it is... Sure, ba- need the bread, need the dough if you'd like, but it's more about, it's a chic, historic homestay, you're going to be by the pool, you're not that far from the coast, but they're all converted from these old, you know, farm stays, like Andrea said, or, or, or factories that were there in the first place. So it's almost like the experience of the guest.
3: Yeah, because I was going to say, my me experiences were like, we have four rooms. Mm-hmm. And, you're and gonna, it's very hands-on. Ha- yes, yeah. very hands-on, so... The has like, a little more guest room. It's more of like a traditional hospitality
2: experience, but it's often family owned. So like mm-hmm. you'll be eating like your beautiful local home cooked dinner in the restaurant of the hotel, and maybe the owner will come by and like tell you about where the best beach is. Cool. So it's but, a little more elevated. In that yeah, it's
0: way. not the communal table and everybody's yeah. just kind of chilling.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it might be sometimes, but generally no. Mm-hmm.
0: In the hotel breakfast piece that you're talking about. One of the points that you guys made was that hotels are one of the only places that you actually can get a good breakfast in Italy, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting and so true. Italians don't do breakfast.
2: Yeah, breakfast. The, the one no. thing, Ugh. the one bad meal you're gonna get is <laughs> breakfast. <true>. They don't <laughs>
3: care. Full
1: permission to sleep through breakfast yes. when you're in
2: Italy. <laughs> it's so weird. Like people just, it, in people have coffee. Maybe they'll have a little biscuit. Cornetto. Maybe a piece of fruit maybe a tiny little shot glass of orange juice, maybe a croissant. But, like, that's very negotiable. Like, mostly people are downing a coffee while standing up, and then they go on with their day. Like, breakfast is not, there's no eggs. It's not a meal.
3: No protein.
2: No protein. very upsetting. Like, (laughs) And, of course, like, there are, you know, people who are, like, more into health food and, and places in the bigger cities where you can get this. But, like, generally.
0: There's no tradition for it.
2: Yeah, it just doesn't happen, and people aren't interested in it. But you
0: can get it at hotel. Hotels,
2: where yeah, the only place you're gonna get like a breakfast buffet with like meats and cheeses and eggs and various types of toast and yogurt and you know whatever is at a hotel. So I think you know, and we have a lot of fun with the hotel breakfast page. When we do in Italy, we sort of like make a we, we poke at like Italian breakfast culture. But this place Masseria Potenti has like the most incredible, gorgeous. Like they make omelets that have like beautiful herbs like they're filled with like sage leaves. It, was that a fri- are, like, it looked like a frittata. Yeah it was absolutely
1: gorgeous. The, the thing is <laughs> yeah it probably was a frittata but normally in Italy the frittata is
3: a
0: meal you eat at dinner. or so Well that's yeah. what yeah, I was like, going to say. Is they're, that,
1: switching like, the hi- they're flipping the hierarchy. Yeah, yeah you've
0: got lunch and you've got yeah. dinner kind of just put, <laughs> served at breakfast. Yeah. Okay. Aaron, party shot wine in the south.
1: Sure so there's a piece in the magazine uh, written by Andine Cohen about Etna, Mount Etna, which is, of course, that looming tumultuous volcano that's on Sicily. Is it active? It's, it's, it's active. It's still active. Yeah, I, th- I believe it is active. I, I might be wrong, but I believe it's still active. And it looms over the city of Catania, which, you know, we also write about in the magazine, uh, an amazing, cool southern city to go and explore in and of itself. But... It, it has one of the most exciting wine regions at the moment. And it's because it's got this landscape that you can't get anywhere else in Italy because it's so high elevated. The soils are all volcanic, which actually have a, a much different effect on the wines and the way the grapes can grow. And I was actually there a few years ago, and I, I spent time with one of the premier winemakers, this guy named Frank Cornelison, who is like a maverick of natural wine. He's That's not an Italian name. <laughs> he is a... But he, Belgian guy he, and he, he is batch it crazy and I can see kind yeah, like not He is producing if Oh, he is nuts. But he's nuts. Like we're,
3: we're talking niche audience here, but we, if yeah. biodynamic or yeah. just some of these like alternative he or he is one to the of the, the godfathers
1: of like the biodynamic it. natural wine movements. So I spent a few days on etno with him. It was interesting. Um <laughs> I'll but, ask me about that after <laughs> the podcast. No, he's he's great and obviously his wine is his wine is is really special. But it's an, a great wine region to go and visit. A, because if you're already in Taormina, which is one of the most heavily populated tourist spots of Sicily, which is over-touristed, sure, beautiful, absolutely. I've been there, I recommend it. Uh, it's only about 45 minutes away. And if you fly into Catania, I mean, Etna's right there, so it's 20 minutes away. So you can have this really cool volcanic wine experience where you can stay on the vineyards and they're introducing infrastructure to link the vineyards together. They're making an Etna wine route, which will be a lot easier for travelers yeah. to sort of access these vineyards. Um,
0: what does the volcanic soil do to the grapes? That
1: So it's a lot, um, it's not dense, it's a lot looser. So it allows when the rain pours, and I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get a ton of angry tweets from people <laughs> who actually make wine being like, that is completely wrong, but... Um, <laughs> Please, the sommelier community. Is gonna <laughs> I, come I, I'm vicious first sommelier community. Like I'll be like, you are the an vigilante. Idiot. From my, from my naive understanding, it's that the the soils are a lot looser, so the rain actually travel, the the water can go through them uh, a lot easier, which can hit the roots easier which makes for better wine and has all obviously all the minerals.
3: Yeah, I was just going to say and I hope this gets edited out if I'm wrong, but I think there's a minerality element that that sure. allows like the filtering to affect the flavor.
0: For sure. Plus which the it's warmer down there. And the heat. Well,
1: it's warmer on Sicily, which is why they produce, like, the Neurodabolas and those big, bold reds that have, like, 15% alcohol and will absolutely knock you on your ass if you drink them. 100%. But, of course, A-
3: Etna's elevated, so it's not as hot on Etna.
0: Huh, interesting.
3: Yeah. Mm. So I said, the,
0: the alcohol content is lower.
3: We could also talk about the range of what you can get there because that altitude can affect, like— if you don't need the Nero d'Avola, like there are fortified wines that <laughs> actually are low ABV that are still very flavorful. Um, <laughs> they're even doing sparklers or you can get even the, for a long time it was like those sparkling reds like Frascati that mm-hmm. like get a bad rap. They're, they call or them the pizza Lambrusca wines. Lambrusco like is Emilia-Romagna, from Emilia-Romagna, but yeah. like down there they have a
0: thing but called. But those are really good. The
3: Frascati are. The real
0: ones are really Freschetti good. Frascati is in
3: Lazio. It's, then I think there's another, there's a red sparkler from down there. It's a light ABV, but it's like along the Lambrusco fraschetti thing. That is, they call it a pizza wine too. <laughs> they call it the pizza wine. They're like, it's just like a very light ABV, but frappetto. Frappeto. That's what it is. Fra- the frappetto.
0: Frappetto or frappato? Frappetto.
3: That's Fra- no. checking me. The right one. The right. Frappetto, frappato, frappato. But Frascati is a, a, a good wine. Just that's a good white, and uh, then there's rim. the Emilio Romano Goes so, Okay, Frappato, double P.
0: But that's not sparkly.
3: It, it's frizzante.
0: Frizzante. It.
3: Frappato right. is frizzante.
1: Surely we can get to the bottom of this by the internet.
0: <laughs> the internet. By
1: experiencing it.
0: <laughs> we're going to a bar after <laughs> so this. That we're internet ordering shit. it. Yeah. Why do you fucking talk to me about the internet?
3: Aaron, we're reporting this. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Let's order up a bottle. No, I asked because I've been drinking this frappato from Brooklyn Wine Exchange, which is, I, I think, is Sicilian. It's okay. very light, but it's not. Uh, it fizi- should be. It should not, be frizzante. It's not frizzante.
3: It shouldn't. Like, it doesn't have to be sparkling, but it should have a bit of a carbonation.
0: Maybe I haven't noticed.
3: Okay. How much are you having? <laughs> Just <Sorry. laughs> fair question. No, yes. but that, that elevation can really, depending on what you like, like, and and the minerality and and the soil, all of those elements that we were talking about. It's funny, like certain wines from those regions always, and the same thing with Piedmont or Tuscany. Like, sure. you've got your Super Tuscan and you've got your like Barolos and Barbarescos from Piedmont that always will stand out because they have that legacy. But sure. I think what people ignore is that those elevations mean that if you like white wine, if you like sparkling wine, like they can do a lot of really special things, just like in smaller amounts. So you can try a lot more range. Fits your palate.
0: All right. I think we got a. Stop! Only I, because how'd
3: we do? You know what I feel? I feel like
1: we should have an Italy three podcast, part. Volume Two. But we should be answering the questions of people that are listening and I what they love want. Love that that's that's a idea!
0: Great idea! Cause Cause I think
1: we
2: should everybody... just run through like one uh, question every five minutes. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. It's a plan. So tweet us your question. Tweet Brad a... your questions. Sure. Why <laughs> Instagram not? DM. Oh no! Meredith questions. gets very mad when that happens. <laughs> you have to tweet Meredith your questions. Really, Mir? or just no. send an email Mary, to Meredith never, never not, not in the room she's dying <laughs>
2: I'm coming over and I'm going to say I know very little about Italy which is why I'm recording this episode and not talking on it so if you have the question <laughs> this is your permission to ask Brad maybe Mark Elwood who was a tour guide but who is currently at the Olympics he would be super pumped also any of these ladies that is my piece <laughs>
0: There you go. You have permission. (laughs) You can tweet at any of us, which we'll get to in a sec, or at even Mark, because Mark has spent a lot of time in Italy as well and has the feels. So we'll do a part two. There you have it. Florio has dictated and it shall happen
3: back by popular demand back
0: by popular demand I watch
3: like nobody asks us any yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I don't, don't want it'll tumbleweeds be, and crickets
0: first yes. so it'll, I'm it'll, it'll I'm be the, I'm the lowest listened to question. episode ever and nobody will ask a question <laughs> let it all out <laughs> we're opening it up It's a, people <laughs> yeah, have to have made it through we're offering our services oh directly to you <laughs> <laughs> this
3: is a rare opportunity this is a once in a lifetime these <laughs> people are, these
0: people charge thousands of dollars an hour you guys you can get their advice let tour guides yes um okay, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes, we are on SoundCloud. Visit us at cntraveler.com. And I'm not gonna plug the Women Who Travel podcast because the Women Who Travel podcast is coming back in less than two weeks.
1: Which is a plug. So you did plug it. Really? No, well,
3: I, I, I think it was announcement.
0: All right, fine. I'm plugging the Women Who Travel Good. podcast.
2: Yeah, plug away. Plug away. It's a great podcast. Coming back.
0: Go out, I, we warned you last week, I'm warning you again, get out there and start listening because if you haven't made it through season one, by the time season two starts, you are going to be behind and you're <laughs> not going to know what's going on. And it's, you want, p- it's
1: pretty much like Game of Thrones. You don't want to fall behind on this. Behind. You do not want to fall
0: behind. Binge it, know what's going on. put it on your iDevice or your Android device and get them listened to. We are at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube and CN Traveler on Instagram and Twitter. And please do tweet at us and send us feedback, including your questions about Italy. Any region, north, central, south, we will answer those questions. And uh, Aaron apparently is going to answer all the south questions, and the rest of us are going to divvy up the others.
3: <laughs> Brad and oh, I will Russia. share ownership of the north. Yeah,
0: we'll, we'll we'll trade. You can do the east, I'll do the west. <laughs> <laughs> Done. And uh, review us on iTunes because uh, the feedback does help. I feel like... Every episode, there are fewer and fewer likes and ums and other millennial things things that are presumably millennial. Aaron, how can people tweet you questions about Southern Italy?
1: <laughs> oh, Brad, um, I would prefer if people got in touch with me via my Instagram handle, which is Aaron underscore Florio. Uh, but if you must f- tweet me, it's Aaron Florio
3: CNT. <laughs> okay,
0: sore subject. Karina.
3: Uh, my handle do on you, Twitter. Do and you have
0: an appropriate <laughs> <laughs> Twitter handle to share?
3: <laughs> sure, hope so. It's the same Twitter or Instagram. I am at Karina Quinn. That's with the C O R I N A Q U I N N. Andrea. I am on Twitter and Instagram at a whittle bit.
0: <laughs> and we always have to say at W-H. every time. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> Follow her on Twitter because she's hilarious. <laughs> I'm at Bradrick. Have a great weekend, everybody.